Hey, podcast listeners. This episode was recorded back in February with Mark Toomey, a.k.a. Storagezilla, with the goal of helping us all stay relevant in a world where large companies are being bought up by even larger private companies. We get to a place focused on career success as a function of passion, fitness, and all those things that matter to us that are bigger than any one job. We hope you enjoy the show. And welcome back to another week of the Geek Whisperers. My name is John Mark Troyer. I'm Matt Brender. And I'm Amy Lewis. Hey, I'm really pleased to have our guest with us this week, Mr. Storagezilla himself, Mark Toomey. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Uh, it's an interesting little vibe you got going here. So <laughs> earnest and so self-absorbed. We are earnest. We are homey. We're cozy. And you're self-absorbed, too. <laughs> well, yeah, self-absorbed, yeah. That's why we invited you. Oh, John, don't give him an inch. <laughs> you invite someone into your home, and then they go, whoa, your curtains are terrible. <laughs> and thanks, thanks for coming into our home, Mark. We, we, we invited Mark uh, because he's an incisive observer of the industry, and he's been around for a while. Not to imply that he's elderly or anything. Uh, nothing wrong with being elderly, and we're going to cut all that out. No, we're not. No, I worked with Matt for a significant amount of time. He did nothing but tell me that. Oh, oh, Matt, yeah, but you're uh, he so He looks old. like he's younger than me, but he's in fact. Hold a sec. You're what? You're thirty now, Matt. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I hit thirty last week, so you have about two years until your body starts <laughs> falling apart, and then I'm going to start laughing at you. <laughs> Let's get on to our topic here because we are earnest as well as cozy. We want to talk about industry trends, staying relevant, and kind of navigating as the storms rage on this year. It's 2016. There's a lot of turmoil in the world economic markets. There's a lot of stuff going on in the technology industry in general. So we're just going to talk about that whole sort of thing. Hey, Mark, so before we get started, that was a kind of a superficial introduction. You want to actually introduce yourself and what you do as a day job, just so if people don't know you. So I work in the office of the CTO for Core Technologies at EMC Corporation. Uh, this means that I'm pretty much hooked up the, on the, um, the customer-facing side of things and on the engineering side of things. So I get a, I get a rather uh, unique view of the different aspects of not only product development and design, but also like the entire sales cycle to how you deliver that product to a customer. It's quite comprehensive. So you get to see from end to end. Well, and also you have a very long tenure there at EMC. How many years have you worked there? Um, I think um, I, uh, I, it's it's about, what, two and a half thousand years at this stage. Um, how old is the earth? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we're probably coming up on 19 years this year. So I fell out of it, fell out of college in DMC, and they you know, they were happy to have me and I was happy to stay. We're going to talk about trends here. So, I mean, when you joined EMC 19 years ago, did you ever think it would be like this big or, you know, it's it's about to be uh, merged into, you know, Dell, another huge multi hundred billion dollars worth of company. Did you ever think it was going to get there? I had no idea who EMC were when I went for the job interview. <laughs> Fair. I was told that there was um, there was a company hiring in the library, right? So I was in the electronic engineering building and someone told me that um, there was um, someone hiring uh, in the library. So I took the shirt that I kept in my locker for interviews out put it on, walked across, did an interview, and that was, um, that was that. It was like, oh, we do information storage systems. Really? And we had a conversation in there, and I got a job offer, and that was that. I, that was the first I'd heard about the company. 
it is kind of strange how our careers are affected by the random billiard ball repercussions of our daily lives. I don't advise anyone live their life without a plan, because what you need is you, you need at least something to feel like, well, I've achieved something today. <laughs> but it is these um, serendipitous um, things that happen to you and um, things that come into your network. I mean, uh, the people I'm speaking to here would be very much into having the personal network. But I found that um, for anyone, whether they've gotten a job, it's someone they've run into face to face or someone they've known later on to actually get recruited by them. I mean, that's what happened to me when I moved in inside the company. There was, I think there was once I ever went for a job out of the blue and for from there on in. And I've worked in various different parts of the company from manufacturing, pushing physical things around the place and putting things in boxes and figuring out why they were broken to what I'm doing right now. And it was a case of people I knew either asked them, said, I'm looking, or they came to me, said, we're looking. And I think that's does you a hell of a lot better than going to a job search agency. Hey, well, let's stay here for a second. Matt, Amy, personal network has affected your job hunt and job career story. Absolutely. I would say yes. And absolutely. Yeah. I mean, John, without a doubt, I, I think the further I get along in my career, the more I realize the resume is this thing that happens after the job's already been sort of agreed upon because of the personal network and the rapport we built in the community, which is super weird to people that aren't in our space. And I really love it. So I couldn't imagine my career without it. We started with networking, but where I wanted to go was more kind of industry turmoil in general. I've used words like turmoil and storm. These are negative words. I don't think everything going on in the industry is negative, but I don't know. Amy, Matt, what, what do you think about the, what the heck is going on here? How about upheaval? I don't think you can, you can have a word that doesn't indicate that we're on the cusp of a big change. And for all of us old enough to have lived through dot bomb part one and multiple turnovers, this one feels like more than a large course correction. And like you said, it doesn't mean it's a disaster. It does mean it's going to be change. And I think that to take Mark's word, you'd have to be tone deaf not to see the times they are a change in. Yeah. And I also think uh, there, there's two things, right? There's the consolidation of some of the pools that we've been hanging out. If we think of it like an ecosystem one of the bigger ponds that we've all been, you know, cohabitating for many years is drying up a little bit. It's called IT infrastructure, and it used to have three little sub-communities of networking and storage and virtualization. And we find that that's drying up a little bit, or there's a little river running through it. I'm not sure what metaphor to draw here, but this emerging text, the emerging tech conversation around schedulers, automation, and stuff that rolls into the DevOps conversation about pipeline and more software development practices, they're eating up a lot of people and they have a much faster growing space for a lot of people that have been in our space. So I think thinking about the exchange across those ponds to continue this forced metaphor is really interesting because there's opportunity in it. I think you get a four metaphor penalty for all those metaphors. But that's the irony there, right? So the jobs today, like if you're a consultant and you're in the field and you're in uh, Poughkeepsie and you need your job as a consultant of some sort, the jobs today are pretty bread and butter jobs. Our mainstream are virtualization and still storage and maybe some cloud stuff, but it's, it's not DevOps. 
It's not some exotic paths. It's not uh, these these kind of microservices consulting. It's not kind of these cutting edge new app platforms and things like that. The bread and butter is still pretty traditional. So the irony is if you're an implementation, the gigs, the mainstream gigs and where the money are is pretty mainstream. But yet if you're in maybe evangelism or tech marketing or something like that, some of the jobs actually are on the other side of the fence where you're trying to do more kind of lead people to a different place. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, and I think what people often do when they when they see that sort of discrepancy that say ninety five percent of the work is still quote unquote traditional, while five percent of it is this emerging technology. What's interesting though, when when it comes to the attention that it grabs, that five percent grabs ninety five percent of people's attention these days, and that's why you see just a total shift in the conversation being had in even the virtualization community itself. Even if they're not making bank on it yet, it's a longer term bet. So I just don't want people to sell it too short. And that's probably the only point I want to make by bringing up these other technologies is that you don't have to be fantastic at any of them just yet. But like figuring out one of them and and trying to understand it and realizing that understanding that and talking about that really opens up a huge growth opportunity when it comes to your career portfolio and as they mature, so will you. And lo and behold, you could be a subject matter expert on the next big stack. I think that's one aspect of it, but you're not seeing the larger change that's actually going to occur. It's starting already. Regardless of the um, information technology vendors, it's people inside other companies who might have been vice president of this, senior director of that. As those industries go, so go those people's jobs. So it is a far-reaching ripple, this, uh, this bolder dropping into the uh, to the lake the ripples outward from that through a whole load of different functions so for people who were consumers of this technology who might have been in middle management if their marketable skills were based on the the existing processes or even existing processes inside the company and those processes change and they have no marketable skills beyond that well they're going to lose their jobs it's pretty much like any other form of major technological change which is his and we talked about dot com and it wasn't that was just an extension to client server but if we if we talk about shifts like that uh before that even around office automation or things like that there were significant amount of jobs that were just eliminated because um they were no longer applicable and those people because the skills that they had were in no way portable well they were unemployed and they probably ended up exiting the industry so potentially one of the dramatic things here as this picks up steam as the ripple hits outwards is that you will have a, um, a large exodus of people, usually in the middle management layer, who were previously responsible for the wrangling of some of these technologies. They're going to be out of a job and you know they could be out of the industry entirely. They might have to go do something else. Just to jump in, I think to take that to the crossroads, the quickest way to be irrelevant is to focus on the skills of the past and to disconnect from everybody. So just to summarize in two quick seconds what we talked about, stay connected because the leaders of the future work with you now and look up and think about the thing you want to learn next. Because people say nobody goes into technology because they want to do the same thing forever and ever. Normally the folks who enter the industry are interested in the cutting edge, in the next thing, be that person. Don't ever let that get removed from your DNA. 
Let me tell you about power as an observer. Any form of power, political power, is the usual inside organizations as the main source of power. People clamber up, they can get it, they don't know what to do with it, but they have it. How people always lose power, it doesn't matter if it's a politician, it doesn't matter if it is an executive vice president or something, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's your boss. They lose power because circumstances change and they do not. Yes. If you were to boil this down to absolutely everything, I know this is the lesson of power that you will learn from any re historical research, because I'm an educated man, well, someone this podcast are Philistines, Matt. <laughs> 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 it, it's, <laughs> I had to get the dig in, you know it was coming. But if you look at any uh, observation of history, it always boiled down to one thing, how people always, it doesn't matter where you are in your job, when your career ends, and sometimes it can end in failure, the majority of times your career will end in failure because it's such a, a cutthroat renewal, right? I mean, we're in an industry that doesn't, you, if you stand still for any moment, they believe you're dead, Right. How it always comes down to is circumstances change and people do not, not because they do not want to, but because they cannot. And that's how you lose power. You end up being marginalized and eventually you end up being out in the street. There's one thing about that I, I firmly disagree with. And you landed on this point that the people don't change because they can't. And that's the only thing I, I just firmly can't ever give any credit that people can change and what we've talked about in many ways in these very nonlinear career path conversations with a small subset of the total populace, and an interesting one nevertheless, is that people change. I wanted to make my other favorite reference in terms of power. Mark has referenced the, the high in, in terms of history and, and politics and power, but there's a great episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Checkpoint where they really make that same point. Highly encouraged. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I haven't watched that, and I don't get my research from there, but I won't be using that to back any arguments. <laughs> well, okay, so let's let's pause it, though. You know, there are a lot of middle-aged people that kind of get set in their ways. You know, they have kids, they're busy, they use the tactics that they used that got them where they are, they have the skill sets that got them where they are, they are used to the organizational culture that got them where they are. So let's even posit that goes on a lot. So, Mark, in your history... One, when you were a young whippersnapper, did you ever get stuck in the, the rut of, oh, I'm just a support guy, or oh, I just do this kind of software, oh, that's not where my expertise is? Did you ever get caught in that kind of, I'm an expert trap, and not move on? And then the, the B is going to be like, okay, now are you, are, have you now set sail with your limited neuroplasticity, and are you done? I'm not done yet because I haven't reached the peak. So I think there's a bit, I think we're, we're probably uh, entering peak optimization of work that I'm going to do. We're probably on the verge of heading into that right now. But my thing is when I was a young whippersnapper onwards, I became incredibly demotivated. And this is a, a demotivational thing because I didn't feel I was being challenged and I got bored. Mm -hmm. Now, because I was not being distracted in other parts of my life, I did not have children. You know, there was none of that going on the outside. That, for your own psychological well-being, you tend to go off and um, develop other interests. And those interests, because work becomes such a large part of your life, tend to be work-focused, which means that while you might be bored, sitting there pressing a button, which is what I was doing at uh, one stage, pressing the same button over and over again, you go off, you teach yourself something else, and you move on. But as time um, moves on and as you develop external interests... People can actually be happy just to um, just show up. They can be happy to do their work at 5 p.m., 
rolls around and then um, and then they move on because they're they actually have fulfillment outside the workplace. I, I think highly motivated achievers tend to put a significant amount of effort into their 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 primary focus, be that work or sports or or something like that. And sometimes it can be to the detriment of other things around uh, around them. We call this work life balance, but anyone who is actually absolutely magnificent to something, unless it's some uh, genetically uh, derived talent, and even then they probably had to work at it, they, other things fall by the wayside because they're, they're working on that and they get significant enjoyment from doing that. So there's always a trade-off. Yeah, there are, there are many stories about Michael Jordan practicing harder than any of his teammates. Well, it begs the question. In some ways, it, it paints uh, both a picture, a positive and a dark picture. It makes it feel a little bit like it's hopeless in some ways, and at the same time that it's within your own grasp if you work at it. The thing here and what I would highlight is that at some stage you will find that maybe it has now escaped you. And what you should do is have a wide variety of interests as well as other marketable skills, which you can then move on to. That's what this essentially comes down to. If you have external interests in which you can find life fulfillment and you, a level of challenge which you can focus on, as well as a, a skill set which is not tied to the process that you've been working in for an amount of time, you're going to be, you'll make it work. You will be fine. It'll be painful to begin with, but you'll move on. Well, and I, I'm going to take that professional sports analogy again. Something I've been watching very closely is the treatment of college athletes. A perfect analogy there, right? Because if your body is destroyed at that point, particularly before you go into a professional environment and have the opportunity to bank any funds, you're in a lot of trouble if you don't have another set of skills or, like you said, sort of a, a safety net. So it, it's sometimes easier, I think, for us to see the truth in something when it's outside our immediate place. I'm also curious like, to get to some concrete personal examples from you, Mark. Like, how do you continue to progress? I mean, you've been at a, a massive and very successful tech company for 19 years. You've gone from very manual, boring things to what sounds like a very interesting end-to-end -end project in the CTO office. I assume that you're also reading up on what's coming around the bend how do you find the time in your day to prioritize that and make time for that despite the level of effort you want to put into your day job? You cut your sleep schedule down to about four hours and you're good to go. I mean, it's amazing if you could eliminate sleep. I'd love to be able to shut down one hemisphere of my brain, even though people would say I'm doing that right now, and <laughs> rest it and then do it to the other side the way flamingos do, but that's not the case. I'm incredibly jealous of people that can sleep for four hours, but assuming your sleep is not the thing that can be negotiated in your life, what else is there? There's going to have to be uh, trade-offs. You can find fulfillment in what... Now, progression, some people believe progression is in rewards around pay and rewards around title. And yes, I'm not a Bernie Sanders voter. I do believe you should... <laughs> I was waiting for a laugh there. None came. It wasn't funny. We were waiting for a punchline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could be the wrong crowd. But when people talk about satisfaction, especially at work at their jobs, people believe that, oh, I should be getting promotions. I should be doing this, that, and the other. Well, the answer is, well, should you really? Or should you be getting different and more challenging work? It isn't the fact that, depending on what you want to do, if you want to be an individual contributor, you can get different and challenging work. And you can even progress throughout a company. 
the moment you start moving up into management, I, I think uh, it isn't like meetings are interesting and challenging work because they're not. I mean, people, they can be grinding and dealing with the paperwork and the minutiae, which actually comes from managing people, can be a, a, a demotivator. So the, what I, I can say is that you should find just, and this is one of these common sense things, you should find interesting, seek out interesting and challenging work. And if you can deal with that with your manager or whoever you're working with, you can find fulfillment in your work that you might not otherwise get. Because when I was incredibly demotivated, um, heading down, I wasn't engaged, I'll put it that way, I was in that floating middle, heading down towards demotivation, demot- which I think we've all worked with people who um, appear to hate their job and want you to hate your job too. They're that type of personality. They've reached a level where they actually do dislike their job and it's affecting them internally. It's actually, it's, 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 phys- it's messing with, their, with their, their mental processes. That can come from not being fulfilled in what you're doing. So it is up to you to ultimately seek out new challenges. You're going to have people who will say, I don't want to do anything more than I'm doing right now. And that's fine, but that will carry on for as long as what they're doing right now actually has value. Mark, you echo what we've heard from a lot of these Geek Whisperers podcasts, which is that passion is a large part of our industry, of any job, really. And you have to bring the passion. You have to figure out what interests you about the job. And it might involve a lot of spreadsheets and meetings, but you have to figure out why that's interesting and find that passion and how to, how to cover it. And the passion is coming from you, not from your gig necessarily, right? The passion comes from your reaction to your gig, all I put it this way, it's, it's, it's like friction. There's more than, one, more than one thing needs to be involved. It can't be just you alone. It has to be the level of challenge that you actually uh, that you have in front of you. So you stretch and reach and you actually meet the challenge which is in front of you. So when we talk about passion, that's what passion actually is. It is the applications of the skills that you have as a person versus the challenge that is in front of you. And you transcending that challenge with a level of effort. Because if it's too easy, you're bored. If it's too much, you're overwhelmed. That's what we would call passion. And I believe that if I was to, not speaking for your previous guests, but if we were to actually discuss that with them, they probably will say it's when there's a challenge in front of them and the great satisfaction they got because they knew that they pulled on resources inside themselves and worked incredibly hard, and they beat that challenge. That's what passion is. And passion is at least you have a level of control. When people say, I don't have any passion, I don't have passion for this, it's because either they're not interested in the challenge in front of them, so you change it, or it's too easy, well, set the bar higher, or it's too difficult, well, step back from it. Can you approach it later? Is there another challenge you should go after? That's what I see uh, at that passion in the workplaces. Hey, I want to shift a little bit as we move into the final portion of this podcast to talk about practical tips for people, how to get a handle on this or things, techniques, tools, things like that. And I'm going to start, actually. I'm a big believer in side projects because, you know, that's the people I hung out with at VMware and I saw them succeed and I saw those side projects really blossom. Even if they didn't ever turn into like a production job thing, they turned into other things. And so I'm a big believer in side projects. And what I've recently come to conclude is side projects, much like working out, because I'm dealing with working out in my own life, actual physical activity. I always had trouble, and I'm going to sound like some bad self-help book here, but I always had trouble working out. It's never been fun for me. What I have determined is the only way I'm going to do it is if I schedule it first. It's 
so trite, but the things you schedule first and make a priority are the things you do. If I leave it till the end of the day or if I leave it to when I have time, invariably I don't. So I think if you talk to people who write a novel, right, they'll say, I scheduled that first. I got up at 5 a.m. every morning and wrote for an hour or whatever it took. Every Saturday, I went to the laundromat and did my laundry and wrote for two hours. You know, so you have to kind of schedule it first and find that place and honor that commitment. So just like for working out, I'm trying to schedule it first now, no matter what, and not let other things run over it. And I think my, my number one tip is, a, is work on a side project, but honor that. If you're going to work on it, do it. Do it every week. Do it every day. Do it every, whatever time slot that you give it. Honor that time commitment. And that's really the only way that I've found to push against all the rest of the forces of life. That's awesome, John. And John, just to echo that, I think it's incredibly important because it forces you to work with different people in different ways and to develop different skill sets. So I've heard those stories time and time again, that people who are insulated against some of the the churning waters of change had this other network, these other diversified, it's a diversified portfolio. And, and I really like what you said about honoring it, making it even the term skunk works, right? We, we create all these things to sort of dismiss these things that we do on the side. But truthfully, it's all a matter of work that we're doing to develop a set of skills we don't have yet, building muscle we don't have yet. Uh, one day I'll be able to do a pull-up. I need to honor that commitment. I'm still not able. So. <laughs> we, all, we all have a dream. We all have a dream. Yeah, I'm a fan of the GTD method of get things done. And it's a strategy for mapping things out in actionable ways. I like to give myself a ton of abstract lofty goals that I never accomplish. And that's something I've worked really hard on getting away from. So framing it in in sentences where they're achievable immediately and something I can list, whether it's on paper or I'm using Wonderlist a bunch lately, just put it down in a checklisty way of understanding it. So right now, like I want to be a more competent developer and I realize there are just a ton of dependencies to get there. And there are around things that I didn't really prioritize. I always said I'd get to it later and I've written them all down and I'm going through them one at a time. And I'm actually following your advice too, John, and I didn't realize it. It's the sort of time box strategy of give yourself some time on the calendar to always get things done. And I tend to put it around some sort of chunk of time in the day. And just I go through that list and try to get one of them done until it's all done. And I move on to the next one where I can go work on a bigger project. I actually don't love, just for people that don't love making lists, I don't love making lists for two reasons. One, I look at the list and it kind of intimidates me, even though it's not supposed to. And two, I think I engage my mirror neurons to talk about neuropsychology in that I look at the list and I kind of say, oh, well, that's all I've already completed it there. So if you don't love lists, you're, you're, you're not lost. You don't have to use lists in that way, but it work for Matt. So use whatever works for you. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark, how do you still stay relevant? Any particular tips or tricks or things that work for you? How do I stay relevant? There'll be people who tell you I never was relevant. <laughs> Some of them were on the show. No, um, the, what I, I do find tips and tricks and I'll, I'll go to Amy first because the, the pull up, I could not do a pull up. Then I could do pull ups. And I'll tell you, and one leads into the other, I'll tell you how I did that. My one regret, and simply because I, I, I wasn't really a sports person, you know, you, you do work with teams and so on, but I was never, never really a uh, sports like you and your community. <laughs> what fictional construct is that? But um, if you want to get fit, you want to lose weight, you want a cardio workout and so on, try and do something with a team, right? You do something with a team because we talk about motivation and finding the time to work out. 
if you're disciplined, you'll do it. If you're not disciplined, you're not going to do it. But if you know that you're making a commitment to be there with a bunch of other people to do something, chances are you're actually going to show up and do it. So whether or not you're, you have a basketball game weekly or you're, 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 you're playing tennis or you're doing something like that, do that. It's, it's fun. It gets you out. You're there. You're probably you're sweating for an hour or whatever amount of time it is. How I actually did the pull-ups was with a bunch of people who also could not do pull-ups. And we worked at it and uh, we worked at it and eventually we got there because you could actually see the improvements every time we're doing it. This goes back to the passion. If you can actually see yourself improving and you're rising to the challenge, you're going to find that you have the motivation to actually carry this on. What I found was quite dangerous is like last year, I could not swim. I did not know how to swim. I'd never learned how to swim. Last year, I learned how to swim. Then I could swim. I was hitting that pool so often, it was unbelievable. But then I reached the wall that now I can swim. And the motivation began drying up. So what you can uh-huh. do is, you know, well, I can do laps quicker or something like that. But if that isn't your primary goal, chances are it's going to slip and slide in you. So what I would say to Amy is that if you can't do a pull-up at the moment, find a bunch of people who can't do it either and work in it together. One of my other tips or tricks at the very least is crowd shaming. That I will make some ridiculous commitment in public. And that is my version because my life isn't such that I can always commit to a regular this, that, or the other. But if I do it in public, I will stick to the commitment and continue to work at it. So this it's, year, it's you're, going to get us a, uh, you're going to get us a pull-up on video. On video. As this show, with this show and these listeners as your witness. <laughs> Done. You're going to get us a pull-up this year on video. There we go. We have it. My Valentine's present to myself next year will be one pull-up. Game on. Well, if you can do one, you can give me accepted. 10. Let's <laughs> <laughs> escalate it quickly. One or 10. I'll accept either one. You can see about me and challenges. Well, I just think it's really interesting that we started off with how to keep your career relevant, and I think we took a left turn into how to keep yourself fit challenges. But, you know, I honestly think both are involved with uh, caring for yourself, you know, taking care of yourself, making sure that you're going to live a long and healthy and happy life and career. So I don't mind that we got here to fitness. I think that there are parallels here which are unexplored and which probably remain unexplored. The bottom line for both of them is rise to it in the work, in your in your life, in your fitness with, with your body or something like that. Find the challenge. Find something that you know that you can reach for and then reach for it. You'll feel great when you get there. And I would also say that you have to transfer all of your energy for the immediate right now fire drill. You have to bank just ever so little bit of it to the long game. If all you do is play short game transactional, you've got to bank mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. percentage of time, energy, etc., to Mark's point, it may feel incremental and not have that satisfying adrenaline rush you get from doing something big or deadline-oriented or immediate, but it has a long-term effect. So Mark, aside from coming on this podcast, what is something you advise people to never, ever do again? Well, I'd advise anyone to come on this podcast. How many episodes in are ye? What are we, like 103? Oh, 100 and something. Yeah, they finally got to me. The last podcaster in the world. I'm sitting there at the moment in a Bottom large, of our list. Uh. In a battered wingback chair in a large library looking out at the final star of the universe collapsing. <laughs> and they finally got around for a podcast. What was the question again? Because I was too interested in what I had to say. So let's listen to what you have to say. <laughs> That's one of our tips. What would you advise somebody on their journey as they navigate, as we endure all these changes? 
What is a mistake you would counsel somebody else not to do again? Looking back on my own career, there are times where you don't have to say things and it isn't cowardice. Mm. And I will, I will say that learning from severe personal experience, there are times where you don't have to point something out. It isn't cowardice. And if you just wait, the person will come apart themselves. And sometimes that can be uh, better for your long-term prospects. You have to try in your own mind to see what the reaction will be. And when you're dealing with, and I'll say this, someone who can be a very dark force potentially in your working life, you have to play the odds. And, and if you believe that, if I just wait long enough, this person will blow themselves up. You don't have to t- try and put them to the sword yourself. And that's all I'll say on that. Very nice. You know, I think there is a aspect of, of many geeks' personalities that have this sense of right and wrong and the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. And we are, we are called to call out that. And I think that's a particularly perceptive point that you made. Mark, if uh, people need to find you online to harass you or otherwise stalk you, where would they do that? You will find me at StorageZilla on Twitter. Also, uh, and this is, I'm not sure how we are about other podcast plugs, but I, I do Inside the Data Cortex once a month on over on the datacortex.com with uh, Stephen Manley, the CTO. And we have a conversation usually about uh, technology and books that we're reading and things that we're interested in and, and such. So for I like to say our awesome. audience is small, but it's highly educated. So therefore, we are much more valuable. <laughs> awesome. Definitely. We'll link out in the show notes. Uh, people can find you on Twitter, etc. Mark Toomey, Mr. Storagezilla himself. It has been a pleasure. You always have something to say that is interesting, and I really appreciate your perspective. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, team. And with that, it's been another week of The Geek Whispers. Thanks. You've been listening to The Geek Whispers. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers, Jay Troyer, MJ Brender, and Coms Ninja. Thanks for listening.